few months ago, I was uh, uh, seated in a local coffee shop. I'd stopped by there to work on the computer and do a little bit of uh, email catch-up. And while I was seated there, not far from me, uh, uh, a man and a, a lady having a conversation, and I was trying not to hear it. Have you ever been in that situation? <laughs> trying not to hear it. When you have ears like this, okay, they pick up a lot, though, I'll tell you. But I was trying not to hear it. But I heard the word Lord, Father, Bible, prayer. Next thing you know, my head's just kind of leaning over that way. And I heard a little bit of that kind of conversation. Finally, I just turned around and I said to this man, and uh, the lady, I have to be his daughter, I said, are you talking about my father? <laughs> and they, I, said, they, I said, are you talking about my father? And they understood, oh, yes, we are. And it was a delight to meet them. And you know what? It was a pastor of a multicultural ethnic church here and his daughter. Uh, become a real friend of mine now as a part of our prayer fellowship that we have and what a blessing that was so i can look back and say that was gospel eavesdropping that's what that was that was <laughs> gospel eavesdropping now there is such a thing as gospel eavesdropping see some eavesdropping is for the purpose of gossip <laughs> so you can find something maybe that's not good and tell others about it but there's also gospel eavesdropping where you hear good news and you get to share that good news with others the good news of Jesus Christ and gospel eavesdropping is biblical how do I know that because Jesus practiced it as a matter of fact he practiced it on Easter Sunday and we read about it in the passage that's been read for us in Luke chapter 24. Once you turn there, and we're going to see this incredible story that begins with our Lord and Savior involved after his resurrection in some gospel eavesdropping. And he allows us by his spirit, as it's recorded in his word, for us to also eavesdrop on that conversation. And I want to ask you, are you not glad that you get to listen to this conversation? What a unique passage it is. And so let's turn there. Luke chapter 24. We are listening and learning as Luke is opening up these Easter Sunday encounters. And remember, Luke is writing as a historian. He interviewed these people. And last Sunday, over the Easter weekend, we considered the empty tomb encounters, how people felt and how they were gripped and struggled with the reality of the empty tomb. Well, now Luke talks about another encounter that happened on that Easter Sunday. Not Easter Sunday morning, but Easter Sunday afternoon. 
he gives us the account of the Emmaus Road encounter. There's the encounter at the empty tomb, but now here is the encounter on the Emmaus Road. Now, this is an amazing story. So wonderful, so unique. How would you think that Jesus, the risen Son of God, would reveal himself? Would you think that he would probably reveal himself coming and glowing like the noonday sun and lightning bolts shooting out of his fingertips? But that's not how he did it. Here he is taking a leisurely Sunday afternoon walk, eavesdropping on a conversation. Now, who are these two disciples? Well, we know one of them. He, we're told his name. This is Cleopas. Cleopas. Perhaps identified with the other Cleopas mentioned in the New Testament, who was the husband of Mary. But the other is not mentioned. And we're not told why the other is not mentioned. We can only presume maybe... Uh, Luke knew there was a situation, maybe a safety or something. But you know, I like to think that there's another reason why the person is not named. I like to think of it, it's because the Lord wants to us to insert ourselves in the story. He wants us to be on the road. So it's like we're walking along with Cleopas on this road. And what we see here in this Easter Sunday afternoon encounter is how the risen Christ he was dead just a few hours ago now he's alive forevermore here is how he reveals himself here is how he meets two of his disciples and friends I want you to listen attentively this morning this also here shows us how Jesus meets and makes disciples this very day. Now I want you just to listen. I want to share with you just four personal observations. The story is so wonderful. It really doesn't need interpretation. It just, it just needs to be shared. But also for us just to take some time to make some personal observations and applications about what is found here. So I'd like to do that. Four personal observations from this Emmaus Road encounter. Now notice, first of all, these two disciples encountered Jesus on a walk. They encountered Jesus on a walk. Look at verses 13 and 14. The Bible says that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Now, it's interesting. Just notice their direction. They're, they're walking away from Jerusalem. And, and also just notice the, their deliberation. They, they just can't understand what has happened. They're, they're walking away from Jerusalem. They're walking to Emmaus. And I've got to tell you, as I'm thinking about that this week, my, I just can't turn my quirky mind off sometimes. You ever have a struggle with that? But my mind just said, 
Why? Why? They are aware of the events that of the most significant events in the history have happened in Jerusalem. They're aware that there are incredible reports out there that Jesus has, has raised and, ha, and has been seen, and, and they're leaving town. And I just wondered, you know, what's going on here? Is there a family reunion at Aunt Hannah's? You know, does Cousin Mordecai have a baseball game or something? What's going on? What could be a greater priority than staying in Jerusalem and finding out about this report? But, you know, I thought about it. You know, maybe it's just too much for them. All their hopes have been dashed. Everything that they had longed for and believed was going to happen, it's all been wiped out. And now they're this fairy tale, delusional thinking that's going on. It, maybe it's just too much for them. We get that idea that once it was that way for Peter, who just said what? I'm going fishing. I'm just, I'm just going back. Well, regardless, we know the topic of their discussion. They are discussing the things that have happened in Jerusalem. And unexpectedly, someone walks up and joins them on their journey. And in this communal kind of culture, that was not an unusual or unique thing. He walks up, but what is a little odd, evidently he's been eavesdropping. Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself. Now, I love that. Jesus himself. <laughs> Who are they talking about? Jesus himself drew up near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. We don't, we're not clear on what that means, whether Jesus is somehow changed his appearance or whether it's just a supernaturally they are just not able to recognize him because it's clear they knew him quite well they don't recognize their master but this stranger asks a question and it's a question if you read it carefully that literally just stops them in their tracks and just weighs them down again. Notice, it says here, And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still. You see that? They're walking. This man joins them and asks the question, Hey, what are you talking about? And they just stop. In their depression and their discouragement. Now they're discouraged, but evidently, at least Cleopas is just a little annoyed <laughs> at this eavesdropping. What does he say? Verse 18, you can hear it. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor? To Jerusalem, who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, what things? 
You got, now you've got to love this. Notice a couple of things here. Cleopas says, are you the only one of the thousands that are here for Passover that don't know about this? What does that tell you about the crucifixion of Jesus? It wasn't secretive. And the stories are already spreading around town. People saying he's alive. As, as Paul would say to King Agrippa years later, King Agrippa, these things weren't done in a corner. When people try to tell you that the life and death and resurrection of Jesus is a myth, this is historical account. Tens of thousands of people knew that Jesus was crucified. And they were hearing accounts of his resurrection. But I, I love this. It's humorous. You've got to, you have to see the humor in this. Cleopas says, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's happened? And guess what? He's talking to the only one in Jerusalem who knows what's happened. Jesus is the only one. He's the only one who knows. <laughs> and how does he answer? What things? He's not being deceptive. He's, he's drawing out their hearts. He's drawing it out. What, what things? You see, when Jesus asks a question, listen carefully. This is a crucial point to you reading the Bible. When the Lord asks a question in the Bible, it's not because He needs information. The Lord's not a little lacking of knowledge. When the Lord asks a question, it's not because He needs information, it's because He wants to give illumination. That's the reason He asks the question. So Jesus asked this question, what things? What things? His goal is to open their hearts. You see, Jesus sometimes speaks in order for people to open their hearts to him. And boy, <laughs> the Cleopas and this unnamed disciple open their hearts. They open their hearts and it just pours out the the pain and the hurt and the disappointment just pours out. Listen to them. And they said to him, verse 19, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. What's the Lord doing? He's opening up their hearts so they are expressing to Him their pain, their disappointment, their hurts. The Lord wants us to do that because it's helpful to us. He knows what's in there, right? They go on and not just talk about their disappointment, but their confusion and even, yes, their disbelief. Look at verse 22. 
They continue, moreover, some women of our company amazed us. Notice that, us, not them. Some of our company. This is a very close company. This is the inner circle of Jesus. They amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. These are not just people who heard some things. These, are, these people, these two are the inner circle of Jesus. They bring themselves in. They are part of the us. Matter of fact, that aligns them with the ones back in verse 11. You remember the ladies came from the tomb and they declared that it was empty. An angel said that Jesus was raised and what was the response of the 11 apostles? Do you remember verse 11? These words seemed to them as an idle tale. And they did not believe them. This, these two men identify themselves with the 11. They, they, they're discouraged, they're disheartened, but they also are in disbelief. Well, they've opened their hearts and poured out their evaluation. Guess what? Now it's Jesus' turn. They thought they were enlightening him. <laughs> now he's going to enlighten them. He's going to enlighten them. This is the second observation I want you to see. The first observation is that they encountered Jesus on a walk. Here's the second observation. They were enlightened. They are enlightened to Jesus in the Word. They are enlightened to Jesus where? In the Word. Verse 25. Let's read this together. Verse 25, it says... And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ, that means the Messiah, the anointed one, should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Now Jesus He's still disguised to them. He, he rebukes them. He, but it's a gentle rebuke. Foolish ones. It's like we might say today, clueless ones. <laughs> oh, you clueless ones. Don't you understand that this is the prophetic plan accomplished by God for Christ? This is what was prophesied. This is the plan that the Christ should suffer and enter into his glory. You, you see, that's something that the, the, the scholars, in, even in the time of Jesus and before, could not understand about their scriptures. 
As they read the prophecies about the Messiah, it seemed like Messiah was going to reign in glory and lead the nations. That's absolutely clear. But also, there's a Messiah here that's going to suffer and die and be acquainted with sorrows and grief. So some scholars, even in Jesus' day, had come up with the thought there must be two Messiahs. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. One Messiah, two comings. He must suffer. And then, having suffered, he will rise and enter into his glory. Now, it becomes truly amazing. Jesus doesn't just say that. Here's what he says next. Let me show you. Verse 27, is this not astounding? And beginning with Moses, that's the law, and with all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. (laughs) Wow. Talk about a Bible study. Walking down the road and the Messiah, Jesus, is showing you in the Old Testament his story. Wow. It says he interpreted it to them. The word interpret there, we get our theological term hermeneutics there. It's the interpreting of Scripture Jesus does an exposition. He does an interpretation of the entire Old Testament Christology, the doctrine of Christ about himself. Now, you know, listen, inquiring minds, right? What did he say? What what did he say? We're not told. But... If you know your Bible, you have some clear insight. Maybe he started in Genesis chapter 3 and talked about the promised seed of the woman. Maybe he went to Genesis chapter 22 and talked about how Isaac was delivered by a ram crowned with thorns. Maybe he went through the Exodus, you know he did, and talked about the Passover lamb that saved the nation. No doubt he went to Leviticus and talked about how the atonement is made by the blood. He would go to Numbers as he had before with Nicodemus and talked about the serpent that was raised up in the wilderness, the brazen serpent, brass serpent, all that looked on it were healed. He would go to Deuteronomy and talk about how covenant-breaking sinners are sprinkled by the blood of the Lamb. And forgiven. You can imagine how as he continued. He might have gone to 2 Samuel. And talked about the prophecy of the coming son of David. Who would reign on his throne forever and ever. He probably visited Ruth. About the kinsman redeemer. That would raise up and pay the price. To save and deliver this people. He went through Psalms no doubt. Psalm 22. 
And the suffering servant, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No doubt he went to Psalm 16 about the Holy One who God would not allow to see corruption in the tomb. He went to Psalm 110, the Son of David, who will be raised at his Father's right hand. He had to go to Isaiah 53. You know he did. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53, he would make his death in the, with the wicked, but he would be buried with the rich. Jeremiah, that he would be mocked and persecuted and abused. You know, he had to tell the story of Jonah three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. So must the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the earth and then resurrected. He went to Daniel. Who is this one in the fiery furnace? He looks like the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. I see him coming in the clouds with glory and honor, said Daniel. He went to Zechariah. There will be one who will make atonement for the entire nation in one day. And he's coming back. His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. And then he went to that last chapter of the Old Testament. There is the messenger of the covenant is coming. He is the son of righteousness and he's coming with healing in his wings. What a Bible study. The gospel according to the Old Testament. My friend, Jesus' face is all over this book. It's his story. The history of the human race. The history of Israel. The history not yet written of things future. It is all the story of the Son of God. And here Jesus, in his first post-resurrection moment with his disciples, his first walk with these disciples, he's training them. You think about what he's doing? What's, what's Jesus doing? He's telling them the truth. He's opening the scriptures to them. How the Old Testament bears witness to the suffering and glory of the Messiah. Why is he doing this? He's training them so they will go do the same thing. And that's exactly what the early disciples did. Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and he quoted the very things Jesus would have quoted. Paul went to the synagogues proving daily that Jesus is the Christ. So did John and the other apostles. Before there was a New Testament, there was the clear gospel in the Old Testament that became reality in the life and death and resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Well, I'll guarantee you, time just flew past on that Bible study. Not like one of my sermons. <laughs> I, I guarantee you, Jesus wasn't looking at them as I'm looking at you and seeing some of you go. 
you know, I, I don't mind it when you look at your watch, but when you start doing this, it's, it's just a little annoying. <laughs> I'm sorry for that, but, well, no, not sorry, really. <laughs> Time flies by. They can't believe it. The hour's late. Look at the sun. It's going down. Hey, we're here in Emmaus. Wow. They've come to the end of their journey and Jesus has come to a place of parting from them. And that's where the next great moment, and I want you to see this observation. These men encountered Jesus on a walk or could be a man or a woman, we don't know. They encounter Jesus on a walk. They are enlightened to Jesus in the word. But notice the third thing. They experience Jesus in worship. They experience Jesus in worship. You see, they still don't know who he is. And they've come to Emmaus. It's their destination and it's time for his separation from them. Verse 28, this is so beautiful. It's really quite tender. So they drew near to the village in which they were going, and he acted as if he were going further. Now, Jesus isn't being deceptive when he says here, he acted as if. He knows what's going to happen, but you need to understand, if they don't stop him, he's going on. He acted as if. He would pass by. He did this other times in his ministry. Remember one time he was walking on the water? Scared his disciples. But he acted as if he would pass them by. You remember this? And they cried out to him. Matter of fact, Peter said, let me come out to you. Verse 28, he acted as if he were going further. Now notice this. You, you can understand. They urged him strongly. They're pleading with him. No, no, no. Please, please. Stay with us. I'm, I, I need to go on. No, stay with us. Please stay with us. Look, look, look. look. The sun's going down. It's late. No, no. Hey, we've, hey, we've got some food here. Don't, don't leave us. Don't leave us. Stay. And so, it says, he stayed with them. He stayed with them. He went in. See, what's going on here? Why is Jesus continuing to walk past their door? Why? He wants them. He's, again, he's pulling out. Just as he's pulled out their depression, he's pulled out their heartache, he's pulled out their grief, now he has stirred their hearts by the word of God and the truth of the gospel of the Old Testament. Now he's pulling out their desire for him to stay, their desire for him to be with them. Their, their knowledge that they need this man. They don't know who he is yet. My friend, there's a lesson here. Listen carefully. Jesus enters where he's invited. He's not rude. Now he's done everything to stir their hearts and make them long for him. 
but he enters where he's invited. I think of what Jesus would say 60 years later. Do you remember it? 60 years later, when one of his disciples, John, is imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos. Do you remember this? And Jesus appears and gives the revelation, the great unveiling of himself and his plan for mankind and the kingdom. But he gives to John messages for seven churches. And to one of the churches that is so dead, a church that's so self-satisfied, that thinks it needs nothing, Jesus says this, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door. And what? If anyone will hear my voice, I will come in. And what? Sup with him, have meal with him, and he with me. Personal, deep, satisfying fellowship. But does Jesus say, I'll bust open the door? Does he barge in? No, he knocks. Is there anyone in the church who will open the door? Is there anyone who will say, if nobody else goes and answers, I'm answering because I need him. I'm not waiting for the congregation to vote on it. I don't care what the association says. I'm not listening to a bishop or archbishop or the Duke of Paducah. <laughs> I need Jesus. I hear him knocking. I'm opening the door. Amen. These disciples sit down. They have a meal with Jesus. And it's, it's not a long meal, but they'll never forget it. I, I don't get to the main course. What happened? Verse 30. And when he was at table with them. <laughs> Stop there for a moment. This man was dead this morning. <laughs> dead. Now he's sitting there eating. Amen. <laughs> he's sitting at table. He's not like Casper. You kind of see through him. He's sitting there. They, they still don't recognize him. And he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. What happened? Their eyes are open. Their, their eyes are open. They recognized him. How, how would you just like to have a little view of that moment? I mean, jaws open, eyes bulging, all the air sucked out of their lungs and out of the room. It's him. 
It's the master. He was revealed to them as he broke the bread. Now, this isn't communion specifically. Clearly, Jesus did break bread at communion, but there's not the sharing of the cup and all that goes with the communion. But clearly, there's an association with, remember me. And they're close to Jesus. You see, Jesus has started many meals with the disciples the last three years. Many times, many times they've seen their master pick up the bread and and in the traditional Jewish manner, hold it to the Lord. Blessed art thou, O Lord, King of the universe, who causes the earth to burst forth with bread. And in that moment where Jesus is worshiping and he's Breaking the bread. Their eyes are open. Maybe it was the certain way he did it. Not told. You know what I like to think in my very humble but accurate opinion? (laughs) Maybe when he held up his hands to break the bread, they saw what they hadn't seen all afternoon. There's nail prints in his hands. That's not there. But I know the nail prints were there. It's it's the prayer and the breaking. It's a moment of worship. You see what Jesus has done? He's revealed himself to his disciples. How does he do it? He reveals himself in the word. And he reveals himself in a very personal moment of worship. He breaks the word of God to them. And then he breaks in worship their memory. He breaks open their hearts to the reality of who he is. He is the fulfillment of what he has just read. He is their master. He is the Messiah who has died and has been raised to his glory. He's their dearest friend. He revealed himself, and in a moment, they, he's gone. He has a resurrection body. He's the same Jesus. He has a body, but it's not a body limited to time and space. It's real. It's Jesus, but he can come and go. You know what I was thinking this week? One day, by God's grace... I'm going to get one of those. <laughs> Can you? Have you ever seen a car? You say, I got to have one of those. The Bible says we will be like him. We will have a glorified body that is truly us, but re- relieved from all limitations. And we will be able to come and go and be and share and move. Wow. Can't wait to get one of those. Jesus is alive. That's all his disciples needed to know. He had interpreted the scripture for them and shown them he's alive and that's all they needed. What a day these two disciples had, right? 
But it's not over. Here's the fourth observation very quickly and we close. They encountered Jesus in a walk. Mark this. They encountered Jesus in a walk. They were enlightened to Jesus in the word. They experienced Jesus in worship. And now they express Jesus in witness. Who do they witness to first? Each other. They, they declare the gospel to each other. Verse 32. They said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us? While, we, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us. Isn't that beautiful? Didn't our emotions engage as he was talking about the scriptures? Do you remember? He, he enlightened us. And he, he touched our hearts. That the Spirit was ministering to us. We, our, our minds were alive. Our spirits were alive. Our emotions were alive. This is what Christ does. The living Christ in His Word. He opens our minds. He opens our spirits. He enlivens us with new affection. He's real. My friend, listen to me. This is the true purpose of Bible study. The true purpose of Bible study is biblical information, biblical illumination, but it produces life transformation. The Lord wants to enlarge our minds with understanding of who He is, but He wants our hearts to be enlarged and overflow with Him and His love. My friend, that's what... I'm so excited about Jake. Let me stop. I'm so excited what we're going to do here with this training center. You know what the two tracks are about? Knowing the theology of the Bible, knowing what it says and how it applies, and then what? Spiritual formation. How that changes our hearts and lives and makes us more like Jesus and fills us more with the reality of Jesus. Not dry, dusty Bible study. Not a time in the Word which is like a gun barrel Straight, but empty. But in charge with the Word of God and the Christ. He's real. I'm so excited about this. I'm telling you, dozens of you need to sign up for that. We need to know the Word of God. And we need to know through the Word of God, the God of the Word. And we need through that our lives to be just a little more like Jesus. I need that. I'm looking forward to being involved. Then they had to witness to others. <laughs> they just walked seven miles. Plod, plod, plod. Rode back. It's dark, fellas. Wait till tomorrow, maybe. Are you kidding me? Jesus is alive. He's alive. Verse 33, they rose the same hour and they returned to Jerusalem. 
they found the eleven and those who were with them together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he's appeared to Peter. When they got there, they got more news. He is alive. Oh, we wanted to tell you he's alive. <laughs> Old news, he's alive, and Peter has met with him. Wow. Can you imagine that moment when Jesus met with Peter? Then they said, well, let us tell you what happened. He, this happened on the road. And he made himself known to us in the breaking of the bread. He, he broke the word of God and he broke that bread. He's alive. That's the message of this day. Jesus alive. What does it matter if Jesus isn't alive to you? Jesus alive. Where do we meet Jesus? Never missing a church service, Bible studies three times a week, devotion seven days a week, scripture memory. All those things are wonderful. But I'll tell you where you meet Jesus. You meet Jesus in your daily walk. He walks. Wherever you are, Jesus is. Jesus is alive in the Word. Let me tell you, go from this. Let, hear me, church. No matter where you're reading in the Bible, look for Jesus. He's there. Every chapter, every verse, every line, look for Jesus. He's the theme of the book. It's His story. Look for Jesus in worship. You know why a lot of people don't meet Jesus in worship? Because they didn't come in the doors expecting to meet him. And they weren't looking for him. You look for Jesus. And I want to tell you, when you hear, for God so loved the world that he gave us, his only, one and only son to save us, your heart will rise to that. Someone reads this book, your heart will rise because Jesus is there. Someone calls upon the name of the Lord. He's alive to you. You'll be alive to that prayer. But you know what? You have to focus on Jesus. You have to invite him in. Jesus goes where he's invited. When's the last time you pleaded with Jesus? Jesus, don't leave me. Stay with me. When's the last time you invited him in? Is Jesus alive in our witness? I mean our head. Yes, we're growing in understanding. Our heart is, a, is warmed. And our hands serve him and our mouths speak of him. When's the last time you just told someone about what Jesus has done or means to you? Is he alive?
Invite him today. Invite him. Plead with him to be alive. Because my friend, he is. <laughs> Lord, I thank you for this time. And I pray now that as we come to closing moments, you will speak to our hearts as we celebrate our risen Savior. Lord, right now there are people pleading with you not to pass them by. Lord, hear their call. Thank you. As they ask you to come in, Lord, come in. Come in to their life, Lord. Come in. And Lord, I pray for us as a church. May we never be satisfied. May we have a holy hunger to know you, make you known, and experience you more. Lord, I pray for us all. Meet us today in Jesus' name. Amen.